0: Welcome to Episode 4 of Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am your host. Once again, thank you to everybody for downloading this podcast, and we're steadily gaining more and more listeners, and that just really makes me uh, (laughs) very happy. I also need to mention that we are still searching for a logo. The folks uh, have sent a couple in, but they're not quite it. For those of you who have the relevant talent with a word, or not a word processing program, uh, some of the graphics software, Resonant Frequency is looking for a logo. Go ahead and jump on them and and work those uh, logos out. Uh, Any picture that has some relevance to amateur radio, and possibly has the resonant frequency name across it, just just about anything will, will work. We're going to leave this particular thing open until we find the right logo, because I really want to find the right one for everybody involved. When you get those uh, graphics prepared... You can send those to the, the mailbox at kb5jbv at com. That's, uh, that's going to be the easiest way to get it to us. Okay, number two. As you all have noticed, this podcast got posted a, a couple days early. I'm going to be out of town towards the end of the weekend, so uh, I hope it doesn't inconvenience anybody that I went ahead and put this out a little bit early it was my thinking that y'all would prefer having it a a couple days earlier than a couple days late so y'all just keep on listening we'll keep at it uh i think that's pretty much everything i've got for this uh this particular segment we'll move on to the next one This week we're talking with Gary Danaher, AB5RM. Gary is a member of the DX Society here in Texas. I believe it's Lone Star DX Society. And Gary's one of the big guns in the DX thing. He, he really knocked out a lot of countries. and So I figure we'll just sit around and have a nice little chat today. Good, uh, good day, Gary.
1: Well, good day. I, I don't... I'm not sure I would describe myself as a big gun, it's more like a little pistol.
0: Well, you know, even a even a little pistol, if you have uh, fired enough times it does the job. <laughs>
1: That's true. You just have to work harder at it.
0: And there you go. Well Gary, for the uninitiated, the ones that the recently generaled and some of our newer extras that don't really know the what it what the term means, what exactly is DXing?
1: DX, and DX comes in various flavors. The recent generals or the most recent, most recently uh, deceased technicians, I suppose, uh, have access to DX, but DX for them might be a two meter station that's two, three, four hundred miles away. So DX is kind of relative to the frequency you're on. For HF purposes, DX normally refers to stations in another country. So to that extent, for stations in the United States, stations almost in any country other than the United States. Actually, DX could be an Alaskan station if it's trying to be worked by a station in Hawaii. And Hawaiian stations are so far removed from the continent that for DXCC purposes, they're really another entity. And they're also considered DX. Anybody can work DX. Uh, on HF Uh, You can work it from a car. You can work it from an apartment. You can work it from a house But to be very effective You need more and more antenna and more and more power which generally means more and more space acreage is nice something that I would love to have but don't You just have to work at it DX is not like an FM conversation on a two-meter repeater. It requires a, a trained ear, a lot of hard work, and a lot of time. And the old adage about listening twice as much as you talk just doesn't apply. You have to listen 20 or 30 times as much as you talk in order to make the, uh, contact with many of these stations because they are so remote and so deep in the mud sometimes that it must be Take an awful lot of effort to to hear them and to make a two-way contact.
0: Well, that's very interesting, and uh, you know, I've worked a little DX myself. You know, I'm I'm what I call is calling a uh, an incidental DXer, which I get on the air and, and talk, and if I grab a DX station in the process, it doesn't hurt my feelings much. <laughs> well, um, other. Other than the challenge of trying to work a foreign country, are there any other reasons why somebody would want to get into DXing, possibly uh, paper chasing or something like that?
1: Well, there's all kinds of paper to be chased. Um, I think for one, some of the brand-new generals that are being created this month, you can work all states. That's a nice challenge, and that's a good piece of paper to work. And for that basic award, simply confirm a contact with each of the 50 U.S. states, and that includes Alaska and Hawaii. And that could be on any any band. After you have done that, then you can then you can go for uh, five band worked all states, and that's normally. 10, 15, 20, 40, and 75 or 80 meters. And it can be CW or phone or PSK or any other mode. But making that would be a total of uh, 250 contacts for that award. And we haven't gone outside the United States yet.
0: Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Now,
1: other awards, DXCC has been around since the 1930s, was put on hiatus during World War II, came back in 1945 under somewhat similar, but new set of rules, too. And uh, basically everything started over from scratch in 1945 after the war. The award was for working 100 countries, which now entities, because they're not all actually countries, And uh, the rules have changed for what is or is not an entity through the years, and the number of entities has grown. Many have gone away because of political situations. And actually, today, it's probably much easier to work 100 entities in a weekend than it was, say, in 1950 to work 100 entities or countries in a five year period. There are other other little tools available, one of which are, are contests, which are organized and, and uh, uh, sponsored by uh, both ARRL, by CQ Magazine, and by other groups around the country, around the world, Quarter Century Wireless Association, has a few contests for uh, CW. The Russian Federation has contests to work former Soviet-area states, worked all Europe. There's lots of different contests sponsored by various uh, ham organizations all over the world. And you can make lots of contacts this way. You can work stations and not necessarily enter the contest by submitting logs. But the bottom line is... On a contest weekend, there are a lot of stations on the air, many many opportunities to make contacts, and that's where the fun comes in.
0: Well, I know I've uh, I've been known to hang around the edge of the contests. Anyway, I've once or twice I've got up in the morning, and heard them uh, heard them have the bands completely full, and gone over to whatever whatever website and picked up the uh, rules so I'd have the exchange, and have gotten some. Well, what in my, my what would be good DX in my opinion probably would be something lackluster in in someone like your situation, uh, just by hanging out when them contests are around. But Gary, I I know uh, you've told me once or twice about some uh, really outstanding contacts you've made. Uh, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head, but maybe you can.
1: I remember one contact. I made, it's been several years ago, and it was so unique, I'll never forget it. There was a, a retired astronaut, his name was Chuck Brady, N4BQW was his call sign, and, and regrettably, he passed on just a couple years ago, by from, after some long illness he had, but I had worked him a number of times from various unusual locations, and I'm certain he didn't remember me from Adam, because when you're off in some rare location, you work tens of thousands of stations, uh, perhaps a hundred thousand stations over an extended period, and you you don't recall call signs, but on this incident, he was on Bouvet Island, which is owned by Norway, I believe, and it's down off the coast of Antarctica he was pretty much by himself working on a research project And after after he had some activities in the morning he had some time for himself for a couple hours before he needed to go do something else and in those couple hours he would get on the air and uh, call CQ and work as many stations as he could now in the United States that typically was in the evenings uh, our time I would get on, and understanding I just have a vertical antenna, nothing really fancy, ground-mounted vertical, it doesn't get out that well, and it doesn't generally overcome the power of stations uh, on the East Coast. And I would sit at my station night after night calling and uh, being frustrated because he never really heard me, and he didn't come back to me. It's what you do oftentimes. You're giving your call sign repeatedly every time he asks for call signs. You give out that call sign at the frequency he's listening, and you hope he hears you. Well, he he wasn't hearing me. After about three weeks, I was very frustrated. I'm sure a lot of other people were, too. I wasn't the only one. On this particular evening, he goes QRT, and the listening frequency, the calling frequency for him, fall silent so several of us change our radios from duplex to simplex back again and we're just having a little conversation back and forth and I'm talking to a fellow in Georgia who's uh, commenting that he's been listening for several days and hasn't had any luck and I you know I've been listening for over 3 weeks now I haven't had any luck I'm on the air every night and about that time down in the, in the mud of the, of the uh, noise, I hear a call sign, and I go, what? And somebody else says, he's calling you. I says no. Yes, he's calling you. He calls my call, 85RM, and gives me a signal report. I give him, in return, a signal report back, note the time, I've made my contact. Now, <clears throat> what apparently was happening was he, he had gone off and he was QRT for the morning, had to go do something else, but he left his radio on. and Down there, although we have a lot of noise at our end, his, uh, his, his noise was non-existent. He was hearing our conversation very clearly and he took pity on a guy who had been spending three weeks every night calling trying to make a contact. And uh, that was just, I mean, beyond belief. Because instead of you calling the DX, who's rare, the rare DX called me. And uh, after I regained my my composure, the phone rang. It was a fellow up in Massachusetts who congratulated me and says, "Yeah, that was really cool. I've never heard anything like that before." And it, it was for real. I got a card from him later on, and. Um, it was very memorable. I would love to have been able to shake his hand and have an eyeball cue so with him at some time. But tragically, that won't happen. That's my story.
0: Yeah. And we have a lot of them going silent key. uh just had one uh, yesterday from down on the traffic nets go that way. But that story does remind me of one that I had, and I'll go ahead and throw it in real quick, and hopefully the listeners <laughs> won't get too aggravated over it. I was cruising around on uh, the 10-meter band one Saturday morning, real early about the time the sun came up Back a couple years back when there was still a little activity on there. And I'm cruising up and down, and I start hearing a beacon down, down in the beacon portion of the band. I figure, yeah, okay, so I zip up and zip back down the band, do it, do that for about 15, 20 minutes, and as I'm running back up, fixing to stop and go get myself something to drink, I hear a, hear a voice way off in the noise, and it sounds like he's hollering, uh, CQ. I went and got my soda and come back and sat down, waited, and he finally come up to about two S units. I figured maybe he can hear me and I wasn't real sure where he was by his call sign because I couldn't find my my list. And it turned out uh, his call sign was S9SS, I believe. That might be wrong. But before it was over with, I... I was get, getting to talk to this guy, and he was on a an island called South Tome. And for those of y'all listening who don't know where that don't know where that is, that's off the southern tip of Africa. And I got him so close into us, uh, so early into us being able to hear him here, that I didn't even have to fight the DX. And uh, I have the card, and I can prove it if any of y'all want to ask. Okay, Gary. Um. Several questions came to mind when you were when you were talking a while ago. You know, earlier we were talking about uh big fish and little fish or big guns and little pistols and that kind of stuff. Do you have to have uh I know there's stations out there that run a run over a kilowatt and have have large beam antennas and all that kind of stuff so that because they're primarily looking for that hard to get DX station Do you have to have all that heavy-duty equipment to be able to work DX?
1: Well, that's a good question. And the answer is not a yes or no. Um, To work the first 100 countries, I'll say no. You can do it on a 100-watt transceiver and a vertical antenna. And if you want to work at it for a while, you can do that mobile from your car. Because you can get 100 countries. And I said earlier, on a good contest weekend, you can get 100 countries. That's true. Um, don't have it in front of me, but the calendar for like, the CQ Worldwide phone. And most of these new guys are phone operators. Find that contest weekend. And uh, be listening when, they, when the contest starts and have your logbook out. You'll work 100 countries in the course of the weekend. So I mean, you can have DXCC basically in 48 hours. takes a while to get the cards in, though. Um, beyond that first 100 countries, it becomes increasingly more difficult to make all the contacts you need with all those other entities at 100 watts. Because, let's face it, there are an awful lot of stations out there that are going to need number 336 and are running 1,500 watts into a Yagi at 70 feet. And they're sending that signal right down the throat of the DX station. And if you're on the vertical at 100 watts, they may hear you, they may not. It may be like my situation with the fellow on Bouvet Island. You just got really, really lucky one time. Uh, And people get lucky, but in truth, you probably need to be shopping for some sort of amplifier at least 500 watts a thousand or twelve hundred and you need to use it sometimes not all the time just sometimes Um, but it needs to be available to you because you're going to get frustrated if you don't and you get frustrated you might stop it's really quite enjoyable the idea is to make the two-way contacts a few other thoughts Understand that if you're talking to a station in another part of the United States or in Canada, you can have a nice casual rag-chew. If you're making contacts with uh, a station in France or Germany, you might be able to get a little bit of chit-chat in, but if he's trying to work a lot of stations on a contest weekend, you're getting signal reports and maybe Regional reports and, and that's yeah, whatever the contest requires, just that exchange and you go on. Now, if you're working a rare DX station, um, let's say the Bouvet Island again, call signs and signal reports and he's off to the next guy. And everybody's going to get mad at you if you're trying to be chatty with somebody. Uh, that just isn't going to happen. So understand that. You know, DX isn't going to be a rag-chew hobby as such. Um, Working a large number of DX entities means you've got a lot of uh, signal reports under your belt and a lot of QSL cards, but you haven't really had a lot of conversation with people. In many instances, these people don't speak conversational English. They know enough English to get your call signs, a signal report, and a few other things. And that may be the extent of their English knowledge. So shouldn't expect too much.
0: Yeah, I I know I've run into one or two that, uh, you know, I thought things were going kind of slow and easy. and tried to chat with them a second, and they took off. Sometimes down there on HF, you can't really hear everybody that's calling these guys. And even though it may sound clear... To what I can hear, then uh, it's liable to be a mess on the other end. Uh, okay, we I'm, there are a couple of things I wanted to make sure we got in so, so the listeners would be able to at least go and research them. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, resources that are available to DXer. The one that comes to mind uh, most prominently is the DX cluster. What's a DX cluster, Gary?
1: Okay, DX cluster, um, most commonly, it's, um, if you're using a computer, normally the uh, application is Telnet, and there are any number of Telnet clients that one can use. Uh, the, if you can do a radio over the air, typically there are, um, in larger metropolitan areas, There are stations that operate a DX cluster locally. Uh, The idea is that, let's say we're on two meters over the air, I hear a DX station. It might not be rare, but it's just a DX station. I'm reporting, um, let's say, VE7 ABC. I report that to my local cluster. That is connected by a network to other clusters around the country, and in fact, around the world. So, I'm in W5 land, and I'm reporting that I can hear VE7s, and that information is being read by hams in Canada, the United States, Argentina, Russia, and they might find that useful. Now, they're they're providing similar kinds of information and I'm reading that information, and I can see maybe somebody in the state of Mississippi can hear um, Sao Tomei on a particular frequency, so I might want to listen on that frequency, and if I can hear that station, I might be able to work it also. Um, it's a good source of information. Uh, some people might refer to it as a cheat. Eh, maybe it is. Things like this really were not available uh, in the early days of DXing. Uh, in the early days, you had to do it the old fashioned way. You had to listen, 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 and turn the dial very slowly. This is one means of uh, sharing information immediately. And it's useful to making those contacts. So if you're out, you know, you're brand new and you say, okay, let's. Um, Let's try to make 100 contacts as quickly as possible. It's very doable, and using the, the packet cluster, it's easy to access. Now, there are any number of um, online packet cluster venues, and if somebody wants to get on the internet and, and do a little quick search of uh, DX cluster or DX packet cluster, um, They'll find a list, and they can uh, log in using Telnet uh, as as the uh, client. And you're not going. It's it's not like www something. It's similar, but you're going to Telnet to a location, not HTTP a location. And that, that's that's probably a, a discussion for a future date. How to explain that, but they can research that. They do have a Telnet client normally built into their operating system regardless of what computer they're using. and um, Or there are other Telnet programs, and there are also some Telnet clients that have been designed specifically for that.
0: The Internet's been a real help to amateur radio operators over the last few years. Uh, not only can we get on the DX cluster via Telnet we can look up space weather and uh see what the the, the sun's doing and uh, uh, other things that can help us out in in making the, reaching out and touching someone making that uh way out contact well Gary we're coming real close to the end of our segment here uh Uh, Is there anything you'd like to say concerning DXing before we wrap her up?
1: Well, you mentioned uh, solar activity, something like that, just briefly. Those solar numbers are also available when you log in to uh, the packet cluster. Um, That stuff is published every few hours as it comes from uh, the government. And it's really the subject for another long uh, uh, web podcast, I suppose. But um, the, the ability to make DX contacts um, is very dependent upon a, a plethora of factors, um, one of which obviously is the solar flux, uh, the solar cycle, which is an 11-year cycle, uh, the daily flux, the daily K-index, the, the daily A-index, um, that information is also published. Uh, when you log into the DX cluster, that stuff pops up almost immediately, and you can access it later on and so on and so forth. But it's very important to uh, know what the current numbers are, because uh, it's going to tell you whether you're going to make a contact or not. I mean, you could sit there all day and try to make contact with uh, Japan, but if, if it's not possible, it's just not going to happen. Um, that information is, is important, and um, it, it can be well, – it, it, I need to explain it in depth, and that could take uh, a great deal of the time. It's really the subject of another, another session.
0: Yeah, uh, a lot of this stuff you get into great detail over, and it's um, just really beyond the <laughs> beyond the scope of what we can do in this particular section. Uh, but this was, second segment was supposed to be a general overview of DXing, so I think we pretty much accomplished it. And having said that, uh, Gary, thank you for being with us this week.
1: I'm more than happy to be here,
0: and I enjoyed the contact. And I think we'll move on to the next segment. Well, there you go. General overview of DXing with AB5RM. Uh, Once again, I'd like to thank Gary for being on the show uh, this particular week. In another item, uh we sadly say goodbye to AC5CI Homer down in Caldwell. Homer was one of our one of our premier traffic handlers here on the HF Nets, most uh, most notably daytime Texas Traffic Net and the 7290 Traffic Net. Uh Homer went out in true traffic handler fashion. Uh it's my understanding he got up and uh, worked uh, daytime Texas Traffic Net from I believe it was nine or uh, eight thirty to nine thirty. Went down to went and laid down to take a nap uh, before seventy two ninety at ten o'clock and passed away during his nap and never made that particular seventy two ninety net. Once again, uh, we say goodbye to Homer AC five CI seventy three Homer. Well, that's it for this week um like i said good overview from gary and we really appreciate him coming on this sh- on the uh, podcast this week once again those of you who are good with graphics programs we are looking for a logo for resonant frequency the amateur radio podcast and y'all keep plugging away at it um keep sending those submissions in we'll keep going over them For those of you interested in uh, leaving comments, suggestions, or just want to say hi, uh, go ahead and send us an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or go on over and check out the Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast page at kb5jbv.blogspot.com. And if you hear a guest over the course of the podcast that y'all really like, please uh, send me an email on that because I'd like to know what's working for you and what's not working for you. That way we can go out and find um, guests that would be more suited to how you guys are operating, get you all the information you need. Once again, 73s to Homer AC5CI. He will be missed. And with that, I think we're pretty much done for this week. I will try to have y'all a a podcast next week with possibly a little more information in it. I can I can see this one's running a little bit short, but that's okay. Once again, y'all drop me a line at kb5jbv at gmail.com dot com and last but not least let me warn the amateur radio operators up in the Sherman Denison area that I will be there in the area uh, last part of this week so y'all listen for me on the repeater and uh, if you hear me in there go ahead and say hello and let me know what you think about the podcast We'd like to thank Midlife Crisis for the music heard on this week's podcast. And until next week, uh, 73. giving away that may be fine for you I'm saving for my rainy day yeah I've been working way too hard nine to five every day yeah for you to be giving it yeah just giving it all away In need see that's not my problem I think you should tell them to get out like me and get a job yeah I've been paying my taxes working hard every day but don't you dare go giving it all away I worked on the life, had a little time for play, so don't you dare give all mine away.